Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support. And I hope you enjoy our interviews. This week, we are joined by musician and writer Jenny Haval. I hope that you enjoy our interview. You're dreaming, you know, when you're singing. Oh my Sounds God. good. I was going to say like, so you're in a state of kind of like the liminality between like waking and sleep while you're performing. Um, isn't, yeah, I, I wonder if it's like that for everyone when they're performing. Um, unless it's like a nightmare. Uh, I I have this feeling it's like that for a lot of people. I mean, that's why we do it. Yeah. To exit the so-called real world, which isn't so real a lot of the time, and then enter something that somehow feels more real, but has like an extended language. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Like, Cause I realized when you said that, like I've watched like recordings of myself performing sometimes and it's like watching a, it is a bit like watching a dream because it's like, I'm present for it, but I'm not present for it in the same way that I would be for something else. Mm. It's nice to think about because I've been, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, um, during the pandemic, um, because I haven't been able to be performing like to be performing and I haven't been able to be present in front of people and I am somewhat I'm I'm a bit ambivalent to like the cult of the presence of the artist mm-hmm. um, I sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable with you know the thing like when you enter the stage or whichever artist it is we they enter the stage and then if it's if it's the artist and not just you know the drummer or something <laughs> <laughs> or a stage a stage hand um the, the audience starts cheering, like, here's the real person, you know? And that's something that somehow creeps me out a bit. Um, so I, I feel like when I'm performing, um, I'm allowed to be the person on stage, but I'm also not present in a way. Like I'm looking inwards and outwards at the same time. So that for me, who's like this person who just wants to leave again, if someone cheers when I enter the room, because I'm, I'm just, I don't deal with it very well. When I, when I see people, I want to talk to them and meet like face to face. And that's not so, that's, it's kind of a hierarchy when you're on stage, you're like, you're standing there, like elevated or meant to be elevated. Um, So it's a weird situation but the the music makes it better that's yeah I was thinking when you were talking about like that you normally would want to go up and like talk to someone and get to know them and when you are on stage like I don't know if you feel this way like when I'm 
performing, it's like sometimes almost overwhelming feeling like the collective energy as Mm. opposed to like a one-on-one, like you go up and you meet someone and you have a conversation and you're like, you're vibing, you're doing your thing. Mm. Whereas on stage, all of a sudden you're vibing with like everybody in the room. Yeah, for sure. And (laughs) in order to do that, I think I need to sort of do that funny thing where I, it looks like I'm just closing my eyes and zoning out, but I'm looking inwards because I want to listen and I want to be part of the larger being of the room. Yeah. And in a way, being part of the larger being of the room does like even out that hierarchy in a way, if you're kind of. Yeah. 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 It does feel like that. Or, I mean, sometimes you just think about, ah, there's feedback or like. Yeah. logistics or did we start too early or like those very banal things but but ideally that's the larger being participation is what um is what I long for at least when I I longed when I long to go touring again that's what I long for yeah during this time because you do have music coming out and you did release things how did it feel I guess like what felt different now releasing music as opposed to when you're actually like touring and playing shows like what has the response been like with your interactions with people as opposed to like when you're interacting with them when you're performing well I have been able to perform a little bit with um with my other project Lost Girls because we released something um about a year ago and we were able to perform a little bit but it was all um sort of very spread out and most of it was in in Norway um so most of the shows were more local and then a couple um abroad in other European countries Mm -hmm. so it felt I mean the playing felt very real and I remembered that oh this is what I do (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah that's that's right this is me as well because it's it's its own time performing I find um when you step out you're out and I sometimes think that I forget so much that I could maybe even quite easily if I weren't performing for for quite an extended time I would forget and I maybe would be able to come back Hmm. um I'm not sure, but it just seems like it's uh, performing is so intense. So there, there is something that you leave behind on stage every time and you pick it back up. So if you're not on stage for long enough, then it's not there and you it yeah. slips away, which is something that's really, really lovely about the live performance because something is definitely lost when it's not happening. Yeah. It's a very, like, I've, I've spoken to a lot of musicians that, like, I feel that some of us are more, like, studio rats, and some of us are more performers, and some people I've spoken to are almost, like, a really, like, pure blend of the two, where it's, like, I've spoken to some people that are relieved that they don't have to perform anymore, that they're, like, in a way, they've stepped into all different roles as musicians, because they're, like, oh, I never thought about it that I didn't have to do this, and I'm yeah. so relieved, and then I've spoken to other people that are, like, this performance muscle is atrophying and it's painful to me. Like it's an essential part of actually sharing my art. It's fascinating to hear you speak of it that way of like, you leave something behind. It's like an offering, but I was like, what a beautiful offering to give to an audience too. Like that each time you perform, there's a little bit that it's like this ephemeral bit that it's like, that's never going to come around again. Yeah. 
I mean, I was quite relieved um, when to to sort of see that in 2020 I had all of a sudden nothing in my calendar. Um, that sounds it's very privileged to say, yeah. and it certainly wasn't all I was thinking about because there are many like, but that was one of the my thoughts. I had not been able to have a break for a long time. And it's not the performing itself. I think it's kind of easy to get lost in this. It's, it's tempting to just talk about the, like the idea of being in the performance, but that's only like 5% of a tour. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the other 95%, <laughs> yeah. So like 10% of the tour is trying to remember when the plane leaves. And, and then for me, like, 50% of the tour is worrying about food and sleep. So that's like that's like 10 times more of brain space. Thankfully, the 5% performing like that when I do that I forget everything else. So that's nice. And it's like not now it sounds like I'm yeah, I'm ecstatic, but it's more like <laughs> I I I don't have any more room. Yeah. Um the brain is full of performing. So I forget that I have to get up at 5 a.m. the next day. Yes. Um, that kind of thing. So, but it was, it, 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 there's a lot of pressure, even when you're not a superstar, it's not, and it's, you know, for, for most of us who are not making a lot of money, touring is a huge risk emotionally. And now also like it's come to the sort of forefront that it is a health risk as well, because it's very hardcore for the body and for the mind to travel like you're supposed to in music. I mean, I have friends who do theater and friends who do dance performances and they almost never tour like musicians. They get to stay in one place <laughs> for a week or two. That's that's not going to happen. You have to like, I, I think about this like almost every day when I'm on tour, I think about this, um, I think it's Bilbo Baggins saying when he's about to disappear. <laughs> In, the, in Lord of the Rings, like he he had spread himself so thin, like too little butter on a too big piece of bread or something. I think that's terribly terribly quoted, but uh, I used to be able to quote it correctly. But that's sometimes how I feel about the music industry. You just want everyone to just be the thinnest margarine. When you're spreading yourself thin on touring and then speaking to other musicians during this time as well, since everything's been online, you're also expected to somehow be like present in that way, both digitally and on tour. Um, and that's that's a lot of personing. That's too much person for one person, obviously. Like then you're this chimera on the internet and you're presenting these shows every night. And, and it's like, after a while, you're just like, okay, I feel like I'm on spin cycle. So what you said, like having, having that privilege of time, like mm. I, it struck me that I'm just like, that's so sad in our world that that's a privilege that it's like, it's a privilege to be able to like, even just pause and be like, I'm just going to hang out here for a second. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it, it's certainly, I guess, at least mentally, it's very necessary to have breaks and the breaks are not just like the the off days when you have to sleep like it's not like having a weekend it's having um a break from the constant 
organizing of your next 30 shows um, because it's an ongoing thing. I mean, now I sound like I'm complaining, but it's actually quite, I mean, many times I feel like I, on the one hand, I sound like I'm complaining, but it's also about being very aware of what structures we're in and what we're actually, it's quite kind of insane what we're willing to accept, I think, yeah. as freelance workers. I'm assuming you might have been or experienced being a freelance worker as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, speaking as an American elder millennial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and like, that's fascinating that you said like, oh, it sounds like I'm complaining. And I'm like, well, in a way, like we have a chance to revise the structures that were in place prior where it's like I feel like prior to this we had these structures and like you said it's like reflecting on what we put up with and it seems like each time we try and return to those structures during the last two years it's almost like life like kind of has like a nerf bat and it's like no <laughs> like when you try to like do the same thing yeah it's just like that's not the way bunk <laughs> yeah I feel like each each um COVID strain would be uh like what the religious cults would say about various diseases just come yeah. to punish um I wouldn't say that though but um I'm not sure if there's anything we can do I mean I I've, I'm very excited to release music but I'm also very curious to see how much value have we lost mm. how much value has music and um, live art but also recorded and um, like all kinds of art how much value have we lost by not being in the world for so long hmm. and does that mean that it was going to disappear anyway was it already gone I mean I have all these questions but I, I can't I can't answer them for sure but maybe time will give us a perspective have you been to any performances yourself during this time or witnessed any art that like has kind of had those little like seedlings spring within you like you said like we haven't seen it for so long I was like have you gotten to experience any over the last like two years yeah I think that I um in the beginning of the pandemic um I work with um a filmmaker called Zia Anger she mm -hmm. made the Jupiter video that came out in November and mm -hmm. and she had this show that she was showing <laughs> um live before the pandemic and then I remember talking to her just before everything closed down because I was in a studio recording and and wondering can we even record now what's what's going to happen have um and she was about to go and play her show perform her like it, it's kind of in in between I'm not sure if you know about the the show it's called my first film and she's shown it quite a few times now. Mm -hmm. um, it's in between a film screening, performance art, and film criticism, and it's it's all of those wow. it's all those three at once, and it's amazing. But she was able to do this because it was like in, an in between art form, and she was um, using screens so much. She was she was able to do a digital version, and so that was kind of very early on in the pandemic and I got to be part of one of the performances you know over the internet yeah. and 
I was like, wow, this is like an amazing opportunity to be able to do things that bring you so close to an artist's voice and in sort of real time processing things, but digitally and somehow using those tools to make something come much closer to you than maybe it could in like a more standard format. Right. But that was the only thing that I saw that really accomplished that. So that, <laughs> that was, it, I'm sure it's even more amazing if you see it, that show live, because I haven't been able to. But um, so that was the first thing I experienced. And then, you know, the pandemic's gone a bit up and down. And in Norway, we've had periods where we've been able to go to shows mm -hmm. and perform. And we were able to perform um about a year ago, a um, couple of shows, but we had band members in quarantine and band members who are not Norwegian that couldn't travel into my country at the time. So we did a sort of Zoom in version of our show. Yeah. And that to me was really, really interesting to work with the Zoom format but having it projected on screen and try to interact um, in a live setting in a room. Um, and I almost, yeah, I, it was to me very special. It was like a lot of work to get it, like to get it to work so that we could understand each other because it's not like, <laughs> it's not like uh, it's so easy to be the person zooming into a show and you like see some kind of stage lights that's what you're communicating with instead of like us seeing yeah. each other um you're basically just seeing some random part of the stage oh so wait so then they would see like a light cue and that's when they would know to like no no they would most of the time see kind of no cue <laughs> but maybe they would see maybe they would see a person sometimes maybe I would maybe I, I I don't remember maybe I would walk over to the computer sometimes and I would chat with them in the chat window and the audience would see that as well yeah. sort of cute I I don't even remember now but I think it was very weird for them mm -hmm. but amazing for us to have that and bring it to the audience and I think that it was quite um moving for some of the audience members to see this kind of um I guess social distancing but in a room with them present um so that was that that I mean I'm sorry for bringing up my own show that was embarrassing but I didn't actually see a lot of other things Why was that um embarrassing I was like that hearing about that experience it blends almost like when you're talking about being on stage and being in the you know kind of that liminal space like being able to show the zoom chat with your bandmates that brings it back to such a human place that I'm sure everybody in that room could relate to yeah like, yeah somehow we got to, we got closer to our own you know process over the last year and by then <laughs> it was closer to the world for some reason than than playing with everyone in the room um but yeah performing has been really nice and really different but also I think difficult because we weren't able to talk or meet people around the show I mean I am not actually I'm quite I'm 
a little bit ambivalent to meeting a lot of people after a show like when you if, I, I'm like all hyped up on adrenaline usually after yeah I don't I I'm I'm the cave person after a show <laughs> but but not being able to really feel like you could talk to people you really wanted to talk to like other artists and and organizers without feeling like you were like <sighs> sending over a virus <laughs> I like that you became like a dragon for a moment you're like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my cursed breath <laughs> it's, yeah that is weird because yeah there's the aspect also of I'm sure that other people have experienced this obviously I wear a mask everywhere but it's like I find myself realizing just how many social cues I picked up on from watching people's faces um, and not even making necessarily like intense eye contact, but watching the rest of the face that I would just ambiently take in. And now when I am speaking with people where we're all wearing masks, I have to concentrate in such a different way because mm. I don't have some of those natural cues to take in because I'm not seeing their face. And then I find myself making like like almost like, you know, too intense eye contact where I'm like, Pam, you got to blink occasionally. <laughs> like, mm. it's like, trying to like, <laughs> I'm trying to like read what's going on. Um, mm. And I can imagine that like being on tour where you would normally, like you said, be meeting the organizers and the artists and things like that. I'm like, oh my God, that would be like, that'd be like socializing for me on nightmare mode. <laughs> yeah, because I felt like I'm not really supposed to socialize mask or no mask. I mean, they're, they're not full, like fail proof. Yeah. And when you've been traveling, you've been on a plane and all those horrible places that you shouldn't be going, um, all those viral environments. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of guilt. Mm. Like, oh, I'm sorry I came to this festival because maybe I gave you all COVID. <laughs> um, oh. but, but it's – but the – yeah, and, and I think the 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 one thing that I found that I needed to think about when performing during like the worst of times, it's much easier now here in Norway. Yeah, most restrictions are lifted. We have masks. We have this somewhat distancing, but that's actually the distancing is gonna. They 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 think that it will. Um, it will lift this week. We'll see. Wow. Um, the 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 week of what what is it the week of seventh of February? <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, you get to you get to actually have Valentine's Day. Well, you don't really have Valentine's Day. It's like you don't torment each other by sending <laughs> each other candy that tastes like chalk. <laughs> no, I I guess I guess shops try to sell things, um, because shops always want to go for any oh, any of time of the year that where they can sell things but very capitalist holiday. I'm always I always wonder what's this what's this why are there hearts and stuff and I and then I then I'm told that it's about to be Valentine's Day we have something else though we have winter holiday that's our thing tell me more I was just oh, like it's just a week off school so it's not for it's not for norm like grown-ups Unless maybe you're a teacher, maybe you have holiday. But um, so we have a lot of extra holidays compared to you guys. Um, so we have one like autumn holiday, which I think originally was to that kids needed time off school to help with the potato harvest at home. Practical. So like a potato holiday. <laughs> 
I like um, so that's that a week of school. <laughs> yeah. And then we have the winter holiday, which is great because that's like, like sets the brakes from some, some like seasonal flu seasons and that kind of thing. Um, but it's also when everyone goes skiing again. Uh, was it, and then we have lots of days off for Easter. Yeah, there are some, I've noticed that like some countries do take like a, like almost like two weeks for Easter. I'm mm. like, oh my yeah. God. That's it's boring. I've grown up with as someone who was very um, fond of school. So the uh, holidays were always too long for me. Um, especially the, 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 like the, like Easter was, you know, like it's kind of still winter and oh. everyone wants to go skiing and all the shops are closed. The library was closed. That was my favorite place growing up. I still remember the smell of the library by my parents' house. Mm. I was just like, because we had, I don't know if you had, um, we could order books like at school. Like there was like books you could buy. Like once a month they'd come with like kind of a book fair. Um, oh, yeah, but my parents put a limit on how many books I could buy because otherwise I would buy all of them. I would buy like a crate of books. Yeah, but yeah I, I would have too. Yeah. Oh my God. It was, oh, that was such a good day when the book crate arrived, but I'd mm. finish all those books and then like I would go to the library once I'd finished mm. my, my crate. Um, and so it was like, I remember there was this like point at like either the second or third week of the month that I was just like, ah, uh, yes, this weekend is the library visit and I'd get to wander around and same thing. I could only pick out like I think it was like five books a visit because same thing mm. my mom didn't want me to like just like only be reading which is a strange would... problem to have with your child but it's like she was like no you have to occasionally do yeah other yeah I was the same I used to read all night um and because I was so young I was fine the next day oh yeah I just read like three books <laughs> oh yes I had because I could hide it under the covers I had yeah like one, I I did have a flashlight that we always have flashlights because growing up in LA, earthquakes, got to have a flashlight mm. nearby. Um, and my parents would get mad because I would drain my flashlight batteries, like reading. Mm. Um, and they were like, no, 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 that's for an emergency. And I'm like, I haven't finished this book yet. They're like, no, 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 an actual emergency. <laughs> so I, I, mean, I was like, I don't see the difference here. <laughs> a fictional emergency. A fictional, yeah. ooh, that's a good name for a novella, a fictional emergency. <laughs> <laughs> so what did the library, what, what, what was the smell? I wonder if it's different in, from Norwegian libraries. I mean, I love the smell of old books. Yeah, it was that, it was that kind of like peaty pulpy smell of like, mm -hmm. like pages that had been touched by a lot of people. So it didn't smell like human, but it, it smelled like like paper that was slightly degraded a bit but not mm. damp like it was definitely dry yeah like it's yeah. a little bit thicker it's yeah. lived yeah it's oxidized yes yeah mm. and so that's what the whole <laughs> and like it smelled different when you opened the library book versus when you got a book from like the new book crate like that's mm. not kind of like fresh kind of like kind of like cut tree yeah that, like yeah. most industrial smell yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's nice. What was the Norwegian library smell? Was it a similar kind of that oxidized, like? For sure. I, 
um, where I grew up, I grew up in a, well, I, I'm, I'm from Oslo, where I'm right now. I actually have the subway going past every, I guess it's every 10 minutes or so now. Um, so you might be able to hear it. <laughs> I also re I recorded a lot of my new album up here in this loft and I had to time all my takes with the subway. <laughs> and every time I forgot I had to redo because it goes like boom 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 boom. Um and it's hard to remove in pre post production. <laughs> So, like, yeah, there was a lot no. of, and also I had a puppy at the time. She's older now and more chill, but the, she was making a lot of noise. Um, Did you so ever was, incorporate either of those in it? I was thinking of like Fiona Apple's like. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. Like, yeah. The barking dogs. Mm -hmm. um, this one barks, her barking sound is very sharp um, it's mellowing a little bit now because she's older. Um, I find like this has been my pandemic interest. I'm now leaving the topic of libraries behind, but I was I was just going to say that I grew up in a small town, so I remember the library being a very old wooden house, which you know fused with the the old oh. smell, the oxidized smell of the the pages. Wow. For, so for me, it was like I was inside a book. Um, because it was old wood meeting old wood, just in thinner <laughs> slices. Oh so my. it was very nice. I think it's moved now to a, a new-ish building. It's yes. very disappointing for me. Um, but there is something about having paper inside paper. Yes. Um, like that sensory experience of it and, that's, and that sense of place. Like that's why I was curious about it. Creaking floors. Yeah. Mm. Like when I get sensory details, either in like books that I'm reading or songs that I'm listening to, I love being able to recreate the place where it happened. Mm. Like, yeah, I sometimes like almost like, like the stray sounds that end up in recordings. I don't know why, but it's like, I love when I find almost like an Easter egg that's been left in there because it gives me a hint as to where it was made. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I... I love um, using field recordings and on my new record, I asked, actually, I asked my friend who was on Zoom for those shows where she couldn't come. She lives, she lives in Switzerland. Her name is Vivian Wang and she, um, so she lived, lives in Switzerland and couldn't make it because of restrictions. She couldn't come to Norway last year and perform with us. So she performed via Zoom and then. After that, I wanted her to bring something to the album recording that was going to happen after that. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted her to do um, some field recordings. Mm. Um, and I remember talking about like the places, like she told me about the places she was recording mm -hmm. because she, she works with field recordings a lot. And yeah, it was nice to have these talks about like microphones in public places at a time when you're not really supposed to be in public places. So, mm -hmm. and you know, like the disappearance of public space is a thing already, but with the pandemic, it's just, it's just like with the, with music, <laughs> it's just yeah. wiped away. <laughs> um, so it was nice to have these semi-empty 
um, snippets. And it became lots of other things too. So it's a lot of crickets and like sounds of nature because, you know, nature is always public for nature unless you tear it down. Or like weirdly privatize it, which happens in the state. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you can't keep the bugs out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a, that's a, like the victory of the rest, the 99% sometimes. Even if the 99% are ants. Um, they, yeah. they can't be stopped. Even in LA, people have been, and I, I admit I'm one of them. It's because of like the slight, you know, obviously global warming is not slight, but like the very minute changes, even like daily in LA with the weather means mm-hmm. that now we actually have mosquitoes in different parts of LA, which oh. we've never had. Oh, wow. And so like, like I live in West Hollywood and now when I sit on my patio, I have to remember to like, you know, like put on like a, a bug candle and like I have my bug spray out there because I will get bitten by mosquitoes. But in like, I got bitten, I think in like November and another time in, in January once, like things like that, where you're just like, what are you doing here? Cause I would expect that in maybe like, you know, August, like, cause sometimes I'll have like a summer storm and then like it's damp and, and hot and that's when normally, but I'm like. Like I'm offended that you're here in November, <laughs> but it shows wow. just how much it's like, you can't, it's like the littlest things that it's like, no, you cannot control that. If that, no. if that mosquito wants to get all up in, that mosquito is going to go on a spree. Yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah. We have ticks coming, um, further and further North in Norway. Oof. And that's, that's hard with, um, I know that my friends always check their dogs for ticks, like after oh. hiking and whatnot. Yeah. You have to like comb. Yeah. Oh, so my dog has a lot of fur. I was going to talk about her barking before because it, it's this particular type of bark. That's very, um, it's very high frequency compared to most other dogs, maybe not like very small dogs, but that's for obvious reasons. Right. So my dog is medium sized and she has so much fur she has a double coat and ticks go everywhere but i mean she's on medication like she won't get she won't get like she gets a pill Hmm? what kind of dog is she she's a finnish lapun so um almost like um like a smaller version of a samoyed so she's basically like a giant fluff ball yeah, she's just hair everywhere and it's very long and she barks all the time and um, gets very excited very easily. So it's quite easy to find a time to record her making a lot of sounds. But her sounds have changed. I mean, I'm I'm being a musician. I'm very excited about I was all gonna, sounds. I was like, <laughs> so, I want to sample like all of the, the sounds of the growing dog. I was like, so tell me more about the dog. I was just like... So did it start off? I was like, did your dog start off like tiny fluff ball and then like yeah. fluff ball? So then the yes. bars change. So, so the Finnish Lapund is a herding dog. Oh. They herd reindeer. Obviously not my dog. Her name is Cleo, and um, we don't have a, <laughs> any reindeer <laughs> yeah. for her. Um, but originally they were herding and I think they have this particular bark to sound 
distinctly different from wolves, although wolves don't really bark, so I don't know how that works. But, um, yeah, so they have this bark and they use their voice a lot to, I guess, to work when they herd and when they're out in the north of, like, the, the, like the Lapland region which is north of Norway north of Finland yeah north north in like the northern parts of Sweden yeah um that's what they did uh, traditionally so my dog came from a breeder because there's not much adoption here in Norway mm. um and she came to us when she was 8 weeks old and it's insane <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean they don't know how to do anything. I'm sure it's it's the same with babies maybe, but at least they don't run around and pee on the floor all day. Um so it's I think it's a humbling experience. Um a necessary experience. And yeah, as a as a musician, it's really interesting to have a dog that speaks a lot and has a lot of emotions and talks about it um, with her voice. Mm -hmm. And I remember I had not COVID, but a cold with a really heavy cough oh. um, about six months ago. And I felt like now we're both barking because I had this one sound <laughs> and she had a <laughs> and here we had this finally we were speaking in sort of the same language. It was just um, like, oh, yes, no, now we are on equal footing. <laughs> yeah, but obviously, obviously, like, I, re I even read books about barking. I mean, the, it is a language. Yeah. It's, it's, they bark. It's, it's not like I, in the beginning, I was, I was very, I, I guess it's taken me a, a long time to come to terms with the fact that we have a very loud dog. Dogs, oh. you know, they're like, well, they're meant to be like little old fashioned girls seen and not heard and that kind of thing um and that's not really who they are so when you have a dog that barks a lot you can't just say don't bark <laughs> I mean yeah so I've read a lot about um dog training and and about barking and um and um behavior like theory well, it becomes it's, a whole new reflection of self yeah. when, you have, a, when yeah. you have a dog, frankly. Mm. Very much so. So I sort of left behind most of my work. I mean, I, I had time and I went all in to this dog experience. It's hard to come back. Um, at the moment, I'm doing a lot of interviews and I find it quite hard because I, I have... Um, I have mornings, long mornings, usually with my dog. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to just think of that time as like, just I have to walk the dog and then I can start the work because the work is also the playtime and the all that time you should spend to make your dog really happy so that she can sleep while you do the work. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to do both, but you know, it's going to take a while. To become 50% musician and only 50% dog mom. Oh. It's like 90-10. 
because um but I managed to make an album which is which I was quite interesting I mean she was in the studio and she was crazy at the time she was like five months oh um, that is he just learned to hump at that time when we recorded the album <laughs> one one of my clients has a dog that um has a regularly scheduled four o'clock a, a humping appointment with one of the couch cushions. Hmm. Um, I was unaware of this until we started doing virtual sessions because why would hmm. I have known yes. that one of my clients has a four o'clock dog humping of the couch experience? I mean, if it's on the uh, Zoom, then that, that was exactly what started happening is that like, yeah. you know, and I said, I was just like, I don't mean to be impolite. It was simply, I was just like, your dog is doing what, what she wants. And I appreciate that in an animal. I appreciate that in a human. It is simply distracting in the background. And my client laughed and they were like, oh yeah, that's just her four o'clock humping. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> well, the, I think the four o'clock is like a standard crazy time. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've read a lot about the theory of humping as well. And the modern theory, they've moved away from it being a sexual predominantly a sexual act mm -hmm. I mean maybe it is for some dogs but it's usually stress mm -hmm. um, so it's usually something that should be redirected into something that's more helpful oh. and relaxing so like pulling out like a licky mat with something very gooey on it so the dog can lick something because that's calming or like a chew toy or a chew thing some kind of bone to chew on maybe that's calming or do an activity maybe some like maybe hide some treats <laughs> there's some yes, things like you can do kong with like kong doesn't work for my dog because she gets crazy <laughs> she wants to eat everything very fast ah too slow for her <laughs> my dog figured out my old dog um how to, uh, we called it peeling a Kong. He figured out that if you held a Kong just right in your paws, you could puncture it with your canine tooth mm -hmm. and then he would, he would turn it like a can opener. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's he, a smart guy. Oh yeah. He was, he was part pit, part lab. He was, he was a melange of, of creatures mm -hmm. and like just, it took him a few years cause he used to love Kongs because like they would just keep him busy for hours. But once he figured out yeah. like an opener maneuver, it was like all over. We had to give him the huge ones cause then he couldn't hold it quite as well. So he couldn't. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So oh, yeah. I should, I should tell Cleo about this. She, um, because I was told by many sources early on that, oh yeah, they keep the dogs busy for ages but my dog just, she does one of two things. She just goes crazy with it. Um, and then eventually the food falls out or she starts throwing it around because then food will fall out. Yes. <laughs> um, and she, she just throws it around like crazy. Mm -hmm. So you get food everywhere. All, all the walls filled with it. So it's kind of. It's, I guess it's, it's fun to watch and maybe she's having fun, but it, there's a lot of frustration involved oh, and a lot of cleaning, um, and definitely not calming. And it, so there are other ways. I was like there, I like the licky mat and I like even discussing all of this because it's like, these are the things that I feel at least we're supposed to have time in life for to delve into like the entirety of being a dog mom and learning about this creature that's like 
been specifically bred and designed to do this very specific thing that now this dog is in a different environment and is like, yeah. come with me, human, come with me on this adventure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it is. It is an adventure. In many ways, it's uh, much more adventurous than touring, you know, like walking in the forest. It's much more dramatic than than sometimes being on tour is. And um, yeah, you just really never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be things like, oh no, she found something to eat. What's going to happen now? <laughs> what was that? Um, and we're meeting the weirdest people and other dogs and just seeing all sorts of animals in the forest. Because I've never been an outdoors type of person. You know, I, I outdoors for me was being in the library. Yeah. Um, like we discussed, like the the smell of the library. So now I've been outside sort of back to back <laughs> for a year. Um, I spent all of 2020, at least winter and spring, wearing like double set of woolens so that I could just go out at any point during the day. And I'm used to having like, if I go out, like having like being reassured that now I have this time to work or to relax or to do what I'm supposed to do or whatever, or rehearse or yeah. write. Um, but that didn't exist anymore because when you have a puppy, you have to just, in the beginning, maybe go out every 50 minutes or every every time anything happened. So I was just fully, fully dressed. <laughs> Ready. There's, there's not been a lot of cleaning for sure of bodies and clothing. Um, yeah, that not such a different environment to actually support and to create in, too. Because then instead of having that like expanse or that structure, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you have this window of time, yeah, yeah. So, what's going to happen in that window of time? Like, how did that yeah. able to create in that circumstance versus the other circumstances you've created in? Yeah, so I've been writing for a while before Cleo. Um, so I had some, I had a lot of things sort of written before, but mm -hmm. but to continue doing that um, with her was somehow easier actually because I got more, a little bit more focused. Um, but of course, I had had that long process already. Um, I found it very, I've, I've, I have, I'm, we're still in the pandemic. I find it very difficult to be inspired in the pandemic. I find that I'm not really, um, I, I, I've managed to make an album, but I feel like I don't understand how, because <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been so lackluster yeah. um, with creating anything. I kind of, I I've been very unproductive. Um, I mean, I felt like, oh, I've picked up a lot of poop. So that's kind of a production and participating in production. Um, but um, yeah, I, I do feel like even if I'm proud of my work, I'm on like a third of speed and that yeah. isn't because of the dog. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm like waiting to see how much value is left. Like I was saying earlier, mm -hmm. uh, whether there's any room for it and, or maybe I feel like I just have to do something else. Like I, I often have this feeling that I need to just wait and see, is this worth doing? 
do I do I manage do I is it does it matter or was it all just like um, something that got commercialized <laughs> after a while that seemed uh-huh. real for a while but I don't know um, so I've been thinking a lot but also finding myself very uninspired um, and I think that has made somehow this new album of mine more um, centered because there hasn't been this crazy tapestry of influences of like the thousands of people I've been inspired by because I've been very sort of referential before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this time I've been asked to make a couple of playlists and I was, I my response was, I, I think I can make one maybe, yeah. but I haven't really listened to a lot of music. Huh. So I don't really have much to... I mean, I'm also quite critical of the artist as curator, <laughs> critical <laughs> of everything. But, but I, um, I just think that I, I love the work of journalists, and I think they should be allowed to do good curation of music. Um, but yeah, I'm I I will make one, and then we'll see if I have any more stuff that I actually have listened to. There is not that much. It's coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, and that idea of value and meaning, like there's totally different meanings to making art. And some of it has to do with the sharing of art, but some of it has to do with like, are you enjoying the process of it? At least for me, where it's like, I think about there's a lot of things that I would make that I don't even necessarily share with others because I like the process of doing it. Mm. But then it's like, how does that tie into then your identity? Like speaking to people who have, you know, had other jobs while doing things in the arts. And it's like, how do you balance that? And then how do you define like who you are? Where it's like, okay, well, like for instance, like I looked at your wiki and I was like, oh, she's written a novel. And I was just like, oh, like, does that at all alter like what you would do? Like, I guess I'm curious about like what when you said like, does it still have meaning? Does it still have value? I'm like, oh, how do you define that coming out the other side? And like, what else might you be drawn towards? Do you feel? I feel like um, the experience of publishing a novel, that this is a while back. So I've written three books and my first book was published in 2009. And I never dreamt of, or I I always saw myself as a writer and not really a musician. Although a writer can also be a writer of music right. or of lyrics. Um, in my case, I guess I saw myself as someone writing lyrics as well. But but um, it was very disappointing for me to to exist as a writer because I I didn't get very good reviews at the time. This was in Norway, and I just felt like. Um, I just felt like I was disappointed with my own idea of the fact that literature was like higher up in the art hierarchy for me, Mm. yet I was much more comfortable, self-confident doing music, and I felt better understood by the audience. There was something that I'd always um, maybe taken for granted when I did music because I did music way before. 
But as a child, I thought I'll be a writer of some kind, but I didn't really see music as part of that. I guess it's because I saw music as like, I, I sort of learned, I guess, or taught myself that music had lesser value oh. as, um, because I read so many books and that was so important for me. Mm. And music was more like, it was maybe seen more, especially in Norway, as entertainment. I mean pop music, not yeah. classical music. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be intellectual and there was not so much in the intellectual space. There didn't seem to be much room for music. There was a room for film, but not so much music. It's still a bit like that here. Mm. I find that music is not discussed as part of contemporary arts. It's not part of the contemporary conversation about the world. Wow. Um, it might be different elsewhere, or I might just not be reading the correct sources, but it just seems like um, it's not it's not really seen as a place where you can have a voice that has that can tell a story about you know like fiction can tell a parallel story about what we're really experiencing in the world when we let go of the language of realism or like the, the not realism because that is also fictional could be but but um what we think of as everyday life or reality or news um yeah music hasn't felt like it's been part of a conversation about society oh. You seem baffled. <laughs> it's maybe different yeah. in America. I was reflecting. I'm sure it is. It's so funny. I also sometimes forget <laughs> that like I've I've been described as having a very like loud face. And until like oh, I've been on Zoom. It's nice. I, <laughs> I never knew what that meant. And then I was just like, my facial expressions are so legible that sometimes I'm like, oh my God, how do I stop my face? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the opposite of poker face yes yes I have like immediate like there's no yeah like I can filter my words but I cannot filter my face <laughs> I think it makes for good conversation a loud face thank you the poker face sometimes is when you have no idea what the person means maybe right. some people have poker faces especially like journalists to kind of seem like just to answer this question and yeah I'm just, just like messenger. yeah Oh my gosh. Even like, even as a therapist, like in school, like, obviously I did learn to filter like my thoughts, but part of like so much of my therapy, I guess, is informed by the fact that I'm very present with what's going on. And several, that was how I learned about this. Several of my clients commented on that, that they're like, I feel like you're like really with me. And I'm just like, oh, that's so nice. And at first I was just like, I wonder what like vibe I'm giving off. Then I saw it on Zoom. I was like, oh, this is, oh yeah, this is the vibe. Okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's where that's going. Um, but what I was thinking about, the reason why I looked like so baffled is I was just like, I was reflecting on um, my friend Sandra's record that came out that I was listening to a lot right after he moved from LA because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, like he had just released um, the album Patience during all of this. Mm -hmm. and like I was like, I was chatting with him because it was one of my first hikes in Griffith Park again. And there was like a nice. huge which was beautiful but this huge pack of like unmasked people like meandered by and it was like still in the summer of like 2020 it was like you weren't really supposed to not be masked and like I kind of like went off to this like little side trail and was just like yeah yeah mm. and like so I'm standing there on like the side of the mountain being like ah, people bad mountain no other route uh people and like my phone just started playing Sandra's song patience and I was like <laughs> 
I'm like, I just like damned if I'm like, dude, I was just like, you know, I'm literally just having it on my phone. Nice. <laughs> like, he must have loved that. He thought it was hilarious. He was just like, damn, are you okay? I was like, yes, yeah. I'm like on a mountain and there's lots of people. It was the perfect music cue for the moment. <laughs> like, he was he like, is, he's still in Norway. Where is he yeah. back? Yeah. He's, he's back in Norway. He came back for like two weeks. He played at Largo like once. And yeah, yeah. It was the same oh, thing. Yeah, I saw that. Mm. Yeah. And like online. <laughs> we were, it was so weird. Like when you're talking about like meeting up with people after shows, like we obviously were both masked, but like trying to figure out how to even hug someone with a mask on. It was like this, like awkward, like duck face dance. Oh, I thought, yeah, that that's what we call the American hug in Norwegian. <laughs> this kind of. Yeah, this like, oh. Yeah. Because normally, like, I'm barely five feet tall. I'm very small. And so, like, hugging Sandra's great because he's not very tall. And so I'm just like, oh, good. Yay. I'm not, like, smashed into yeah. your armpit. So normally, like, it's a very affectionate, like, oh, hooray, my, my fellow elf. But it was this awkward, like, weird duck moment. <laughs> just yeah, like, it's duck time I think that it's not all Americans but it's it's more like the bro hug or the oh, yeah the the male on male hug oh yes yeah. so the people then... who wouldn't like that it's called the male on male that sounds yes. too homoerotic for them yeah yeah um, we, we shan't touch our bodies we shall yeah. send our bottoms into the distance so our chest may not touch and then you pat a lot to just yeah, this is not a real hug no, that's a, are you choking? Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just helping you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I was thinking about like Sandra's music that was like so reflective of the time. And what confused me was I was like, oh, I wonder if my like Los Angelian perception of his art, which is in English, but he is Norwegian. And like, that's what was going through my brain, which is why I looked like maybe I had like an error 404 message in my head um, was I was like, oh, for me, it feels very topical to speak of music as reflections of like, what's going on. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. If that it's like, it's kind of emitted from the conversation of like commentary on our present state. I think it's not completely omitted, but I think that maybe in intellectual conversations and in like the room it's given in media, um, in newspapers, um, it's sort of sectioned off hmm. and given a page and then you have book reviews. Obviously, you need a lot of those. I mean, there should be a lot more book reviews, but there are usually there's there's more space for that as the conversation about what people are saying about the, our time. Uh, so in the media, I find. Um, but you know, I was also speaking about the past. So when I grew up, like I was starting to read um, criticism in the late nineties mm -hmm. and reading stupid um, British music magazines before that, <laughs> <laughs> and um, they're not all stupid, but it's you know, it's like. Um, it's a different part of culture than yeah. the literary scene, I guess. It's quite separate. And, um, yeah, I feel like I grew up um, at a time when music was allowed for me to be my sort of private thing, mm -hmm. whereas other art forms were sort of out in the public, discussed and they were serious and had real impact. Mm. Whereas music was 
um, a private space that could contain a lot of secrets and could be in secret. It could be very intellectual mm. if you were smart, but it would probably not be picked up by a lot of people. Um, but if it had a catchy melody, you know, that's how I sort of learned to make music, to put in um, stuff I thought was clever or intellectual um, and just give it a catchy melody so that it could like subliminally catch on. So that's that's a long time ago. <laughs> I love that though, because there was there was an ad that came up on I think it was like my Instagram where it was like someone, uh, some guy was saying like you know, no one no one remembers the lyrics. What sticks in people's heads is the melody. And I thought to myself like, for me, both of them stick in my head. And sometimes I actually get words stuck in my head, like just words. Um, sometimes even names, like for whatever reason. Taika Waititi is such a great name. My brain loves that name. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, I'll just like play with the sounds of words in my head. And I'm just like, I don't think that's true that people only get melody stuck. And so when you merge like a, an idea into a melody, I'm like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think that people don't realize that words also have, like they they have the potential to sort of, if you remember the melody, the words might not come to your lips, but they will go into your unconscious. Yeah. So you will, you wouldn't have the melody as precisely in your head without knowing somehow the words. And also there's a lot of poetic quality in words as well. It's not just about the meaning of each word. It right. is about how it is sung or pronounced or, um, you know, you know this if you work with words. <laughs> Yeah. But it's about like it's the, the words create melody as well. Yeah. And they change their meaning according to how what kind of um what kind of tone of voice they're given. Their characters to be performed. And I do think there's space for that. Like the space might look very different than it did prior but I was in the back of my mind, like musing on what you said about like, once you release this, like, what does the landscape look like? Because in a way we had this like public music space, like vacuum, all mm. of a sudden there's nothing. And I'm like, I do think there's room for that. And I think that people are in a way kind of hungry for that. Like we've comforted ourselves with very familiar art in some parts during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like people are going to want both comfort but also new ways of listening to things new ways of framing things because we've all seen kind of like okay the old way of doing this didn't work I do think I don't know I do believe there's like a space for that I don't know what it looks like yet yeah it's weird how how not just people turn to comfort because it's also um it's also what the the portals of like the servers of of music what they assume that people would like yeah and so that's what we served i remember after the terrorist attack here in norway in um, 2011 there was a lot of tears in heaven on radio <laughs> um and for a while there was only music on radio and it was all power ballads because I don't think I, I had this feeling they don't want to offend anyone with something that has too much content or is 
So they go for like this. I don't know. Somehow it ended up all being power ballads, and at least to my ears, like ballads. Wow. Um, after this, like national tragedy. Yeah. Um, and it was really infuriating. Like, don't people need? Don't you think? Like, you know, not not infuriate. I wasn't infuriated with people. I was infuriated with the national broadcast service that that came to the conclusion that. In the face of grave danger and tragedy, you want to listen to cheers in heaven. Like you just want like generic, commercial, well-sold, mixed CDs from the 90s. Yeah. what popped in my head was the movie like Armageddon, um, like the soundtrack to that, where it's just like, like, well, the maybe, most, yeah. And like, now I'm so curious to look at what like the radio lists were from like 9-11 in America. Mm, um, I just, yeah, I just reread the Susan Sontag writings about 9-11. Um, now that there was nothing about music Maybe I was just bragging there because I didn't really have anything to say, but it was a nice revisiting of like reading someone's impression back from that time Um, and the reaction of someone who was quite critical to American politics and the turn it took, like while being heavily criticized for that view at the time, because I guess it was a time of like, you created this bubble of like gathering some kind of national identity or national emotional revenge tactics or it something. Was, it was and, so strange. Mm. Like, I'm curious what impression you got from that, that like, you know, now reading her stuff in, you know, in 2022, I would imagine it would be very different because I remember people were criticized if you spoke about our reaction to what happened whereas I felt it very creepy personally like mm. I, was, I was in college when it happened and like I remember I came back to my parents house where I had left my car here uh, in LA because I didn't want to drive it to Washington state um, and my mom had put an American flag sticker on my car and I didn't like that and I was like trying to peel it off at that point it had been my car had been sitting outside and like it had been there all semester so like I'm trying to like get it off my car and she was like well why would you get it off your car like aren't you proud to be an American and I was just like well in a way no I don't really believe in national identity in that way like I I think Mm. that actually is kind of dangerous Mm. I was like I'm sorry for the people who died I'm sorry that we're in a conflict where people felt the need to do anything like this I was just like but I don't think it's solved by having an overt pride in a national identity I was just like I don't think that's the way to solve it I think you know coming together as a community and mourning yes that's important but to counter mourning with intense pride and almost like yeah like this is the in-group this is the out-group I was like that's what created the conflict so like I don't want to engage in that and that was Mm. very like like traitorous in a way like people for a while did have that view of like if you're not like woo America but it's like the same thing as like I never really got into sports teams for that reason yeah me too it feels uncomfortable to kind of like vilify someone else for like no reason it's like (laughs) I'm like I don't don't get this (laughs) And so, like, did she write about that at all? Because I remember she was criticized for how she wrote about 9-11. But did she write about kind of that feeling? Yeah, she did. Um, So there were several pieces collected. This is from, like, the 
like the late essays and speeches and texts of hers. It's called the the collection at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like an impression, like a few weeks after, and then a year after. Maybe there was another piece as well. They were short, but yeah, she was like picking up on criticism she got for being quite critical of this idea of the national and and um the idea of quickly trying to form like a political identity around it yeah and like this hard um us and them tactics and that all that stuff and um reminded me of like the shock doctrine yeah well i'm thinking shock and awe (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was very strange i was just like I remembered I went to I went to a summer program in Oxford with one of the Bush daughters, like in the summer of like 1999, like it was like the summer before my like senior year. And I remember then like during 9-11, like thinking about her because I didn't know her well. She was just like another one of the classmates that was like in my friend's dorm there. And I remember thinking how strange it must be to be her because my only impression of her was like you know, on the summer program. And I was like, oh, my God, like watching like what was going on nationally I was just like I can't imagine that being my parent like Mm. it was such like a weird turnaround where I was just like gosh what would that be like if you're watching like what's going on and you're like oh yeah that's my dad (laughs) (laughs) I was like like, just mind blown you might be used to it you've grown up with it it's in your blood I don't know yeah I was like that would be so weird I have no experience (laughs) neither have I I was like No, I'm like thinking about like kind of we're going through like a global trauma and I'm like, what art do people need after a global trauma? And I'm like, I don't like I personally don't need power ballads. Um, Maybe someone needs. I think, yeah, I think the the most rented movie was Die Hard or Die Hard 2 in America after the 9-11. I So like, yeah, every time something happens. Yeah. But I think that I, I just read um, that there was another essay at the end of this book in which um, Sontag addresses something interesting because I've been thinking about this a lot, how during the pandemic we've become nations again in different ways because of mm. travel restrictions. Yeah. So we've only been able to play in Norway for extended amounts of time that's been interesting because artists like me I don't perform a lot I'm not really wanted a lot in in Norway because I am I am the sort of artist that I'm probably not I'm not going to appeal to a large audience in small towns Mm. Mm -hmm. um so I haven't been able to perform a lot but but some artists have been like Sondra he's performed a ton Yes. I mean, he's one of the strange artists that are quite eccentric, but still got very popular very early on and has had this really long um, and interesting career. And now he's, I think he's doing a lot of TV, maybe for yeah. money, <laughs> but he's also an interesting personality. So it's always entertaining. He is my um, favorite weirdo. Like I joke <laughs> with him about that, that I'm like, you are. He is like... the type of favorite weirdo. Yeah. I don't know him very well, but I, I have, I have. I um have met him and and I've even been in a mu- like a music project with him uh, before the pandemic, but so 
Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I feel like sometimes like earlier on in my career, I've like maybe even glorified this, this idea of an artist that I am, which is like, I'm too weird for a large audience. So I'm like too weird for my country. Oh. But Susan Sontag writes something interesting about like the idea of cultural exchange. I might just be butchering. I just read this quickly today over too much coffee, like while doing my alone training like separation training with Cleo yeah. because she's struggled with that oh so she's good now as long as there are no hormones coming in but um but she uh so Sontag writes about that sort of flattening of culture like when it becomes more international mm -hmm. it becomes um palatable for people in different places it's like a mm. and I was thinking oh that's an interesting view on what, what people like me are doing yeah have we uh, like when I think of myself as being um like needing to be out like being like because I've always like felt claustrophobic when it comes to my country I mean I love living here and I love my friends and it's a great place to be um, but I've never really seen my, my career as working with mm. being entirely in my country, which I've now been like confronted with for the pandemic mm. and responded with not playing very much. Um, um, but am I just adapting to like an idea of something that can be understood elsewhere? You know, huh. like, is it, is it, is there a flattening in that? Um, am I not understanding where I come from well enough? Would I be better if I was more? I mean, she talk, Susan Sontag talks about the novel and the novelist and the need to be like specific and from a place. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I would be more interesting if I like thoroughly dealt with something specifically Norwegian, like writing in my own language when I write music. And maybe my lyrics would be like brilliant if I could just like... Because English is my second language. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll think about that for a long time. I love um, finding new ways of looking at the artist's position and my position as being even more compromised than I thought. Um, it's a, it's, it's, I like the challenge. Well, and having, in a way, the things that sprung to mind was sometimes having new metrics and boundaries can bring about ideas that would have never sprung forth before. I'm like, oh, that's writing from a different perspective. And also like in a way being being open to surprises. Like I sometimes find the same thing where I perceive like what I'm doing as being unusual, like because initially like I didn't have a large audience in Los Angeles and I had a much larger audience in like Iceland, interestingly, before I'd even been there. Yeah, like Iceland and Norway and Sweden. And like, there's something about my music that appealed to like an area of the world where I had actually never been. Um, and I was like, I'm so curious about what that is. And then like, even, you know, trying to write like in a way, like what I saw is like Los Angeles music. And I ended up with this music that was almost in between where it was in between this kind of like, I don't know, like mystical cold elfin-ness. And then like, girl who grew up with like a jacaranda tree outside her window mm. and so it's like kind of playing with that duality but I'm always like pleasantly surprised when my music resonates with someone because I'm like yeah, yeah you know I I have often felt the same way where I'm like ah, I'm too weird to like sometimes tour in places in the U.S. because they'd be like 
what's what's the millennial Enya doing over there? Like, do we need this? <laughs> like, what's happening? Who like, doesn't want to be a millennial Enya? Right? One of my friends jokingly called me that, and I'm like, this is my title now. You may not address me by anything else. <laughs> <laughs> like, but it's like, I'm always surprised when people are like, this is where I heard your music, or this is what I liked about it. It's like being open to that. I find like helps me at least because I'll get in my head about it and be like, oh, I can't mm. do this or oh, I shouldn't do that. And it's like, I'm like, Pam, just let people enjoy stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there's definitely a component in the way I think about how I can't um, possibly appeal to a larger I mean, when I say a larger audience, I mean like I couldn't replace the audience that I could have in all the other countries with a purely Norwegian audience. Not that Norwegians are pure, but within the borders of Norway, because it's just a very small country. Um, But there definitely is an element of, and that goes for the way I feel about it and maybe about how others feel about someone like me. Um, It's much weirder to have someone who's in your own city and speaks your language say something that's different mm. it's much more inviting to have an american eccentric come to oslo and have a wonderful show where you don't really have to be so confronted with that this person grew up next to you and was a strange uh, girl in your class <laughs> and um and also people i think with with me people have wondered like she's norwegian why this strange hybrid mm. all sorts of influenced English accent Mm. like not as in English English but as in the broader English because I've lived in Australia Um, most Norwegians have this generic wanting to sound American accent I think so I've heard that I'm very weird also in the way I am a Norwegian in my second language it's interesting that's fascinating because I would assume that then that would inform then like the way that you like when we were talking about like melodies and their melding with words that it's like if that is your English accent that then that would inform your melodies even yeah I find it very very much more difficult to sync melodically in Norwegian it's partly because I've grown up with almost all music I've heard has been or uh, all music I've heard with vocals has mm-hmm. been in English and with the English language so it's been the the music place and then the word place has been Norwegian mm-hmm. um, because there, there wasn't that much um, there's more now I think Norwe- music in Norwegian yeah um, that's for younger people but that then there was I felt when I was growing up that's also so interesting thinking about the dream state that we spoke of in performing because I, I was curious when you when you are dreaming, do you dream in English or do you dream in Norwegian or do you dream in both? Well, two nights ago I dreamt we were having a band practice where we in which the music consisted of making orange jam in a washing machine. So I don't really think about language in dreams, I think. I think about images. I don't know what language that was, but it definitely was not a very good idea. (laughs) There was this very large piece 
uh -huh. of orange that could not have come from a, any type of real orange in the dream. That yeah. was band practice. We've been we've been rehearsing all weekend, so I think that was just some kind of pulp. <laughs> I love that too your much... mind went that, and that's that's also so interesting to have dreams that are mostly imagistic. Like I was thinking about like all the different sensory experiences that we can have in dreams, like, and I was talking to someone that they often have almost like a third person dream where they are witnessing themselves. Mm. Dreaming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have those. That's so interesting. Mm. I very infrequently have those. I, I found that so interesting because so many of my dreams are first person centered dreams and people speak often in my dreams. Like I remember often like mm. dialogues that I have with people from my dreams. And that's why I was curious about the language. I had also, I had worked with a student a long time ago that she spoke English and French. Um, and she said that her dreams were always in French though. Like she never really dreamt in English. And so when she heard speech in her dreams, it was in French. Mm. I was like, oh, I wonder how that ends up informing like our subconscious that then informs like what we're creating. Like if we are hearing snippets of any language, it's like, I wonder how that comes into play. Um, I think I'm a texture dreamer because I, from this dream, I very vividly remember the texture of the orange. And I also, when I, when I've had those dreams where you are stuck in mud, yes, trying to run, there's a lot of focus on how that mud feels mm. and the temperature, the consistency um smoothness does it have grass on top right have you been planted in the mud <laughs> how did you get there yeah is there a bottom mm. do you drown or are you just stuck i would want to hear the song of that texture just because i'm curious about it I think that texture is in a lot of my songs. Um, I think I use voice that way. Even if I, I for, for a long time, I was very, very interested in developing extended technique, although I am not ever interested in rehearsing. So <laughs> that will never happen. I never rehearse. Um, but um, I think that when I sort of stopped pursuing it so much mm -hmm. and thought maybe I'm super lazy why am I not trying to do anything anymore that's exciting but I think that I just found that there's so much much texture going on when you use words yeah. and you use them even in melody um, the danger of being too involved in that aspect is that you become very self-critical like with the people who always has to hit every note it's a little bit like that you want to treat every word um do all the phrasings in the most interesting way mm -hmm. forgetting about the flow of the music and just being nerdy interested in each um syllable <laughs> Yes. I was like, I relate to this feeling. Mm. I'm so curious how people are going to interact with this, both live and also hearing the recordings of this, because like, 
I was thinking what you're saying about, you know, like that it was hard to be inspired during this time, even though you were focused. And it's like people have been, how do I describe it? It's like we've all been kind of like in this collective sea of very strangeness, but we're all in our own boats. And so even though we're in the sea of strangeness, like we've all had our experiences on our own boats. And now like with the release of like your music and different art and things like this, it's almost like we get to see like what was going on on like other people's boats. Yeah. And, like, and is it, are we more similar now? Cause we've all, we've, we're being told that we've had the same experience, which we definitely haven't. Right. Yeah. It's like, we've all been hit with the same thing, but like the circumstances have been so different. And like, even when you said like, you know, it's been a privilege to, to be able to like be safe and to also be able to pause like one it is. And I think that people perceive privilege as like an insult. And I'm like, no, it's just a statement of this is the conditions under which like I was in. And sometimes those conditions are different and in some ways, like, you know, safer than other people's and that you're not being like a bad person by being like, oh, I have privilege. It's like, no, you're acknowledging like, this is the circumstance, but it's like, obviously there were some people that didn't get a pause and there were other people that got too much of a pause. And it's like, every time I talk to someone, they're like, oh, you know, I should be grateful because I'm like with my partner, but also they're driving me crazy. And then there's other yeah. people. Like, oh, you know, I, should I love my kids, crazy. but they have homeschool while I'm Zooming with business yes. people. <laughs> yes. and it's, like, it's like, there's a, there's the two sides of every coin. And so it's like, but yeah. everyone has had the same thing where it's so sweet that everyone's like, oh, I don't want to complain. And I'm like, we're allowed to complain about things being weird. And also we're allowed to confront things and change them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like if you wonder why I'm looking, I'm getting like 17 messages. from. I'm I'm making another music video with two friends and it's now things are happening. The group chat, it has. The group chat is going insane. But it was really nice talking to you. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Oh, <laughs>